It's April the 28th, 2012. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I am Mike Benedetti. Today on the show, we have David Dayan Reinick Roshi, Worcester Zen priest. We have Tracy Novick of the Worcester School Committee. And we have Brendan Malikin. Morning, sir. Traditional co host. How are you today, Brendan? Great. Thanks for having me back. It's, it's always, I'm always surprised when I get that call. It's always great to have you on the show, Brendan. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the schools. We're going to talk about Jose Canseco and Twitter, but mostly I think we're going to talk about Zen. David, how are you? I'm doing great. Great to have you here this morning. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. I've been reading your forthcoming book, This Truth Never Fails. I've been neglecting reading I should be doing to read this book. It's very wonderful. I'm really happy to be talking to you today. Um, I wanted to, I guess, start off the conversation with you by asking... um, so you live in Worcester, and you're like a Zen master, a Zen priest. Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. The rest of us just have high blood pressure. <laughs> it's something in the water. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, uh, well, my wife and I moved here in 1991. Uh-huh. Uh, I came to take a job at Dynamy. Okay. Uh, and we were Zen practitioners at that point, and we moved to Worcester, and there was no, not much Buddhism happening in 1991 here. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to bring a group together. So four of us started sitting uh, in our house on Berwick Street. Okay. Uh, and that was uh, over 20 years ago, and it got bigger and bigger. And uh, my wife and I continued our Zen studies with uh, other teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it's come to this. And today we are in the uh, Boundless Way, Worcester Zen Center. This is on uh, Pleasant Street. Yeah, we're at 1030 Pleasant Street, uh, just uh, down near the Tatnik area, just before Christ the King Church. They're actually, this is a religious corridor here. If you've, you know, there are probably about yes. seven or eight different churches along here, and there's actually the, uh, the sisters uh, across the street. Uh, uh, so uh, we moved here about three years ago. Uh, and this place is, uh, we do daily meditations here that mm-hmm. anyone's invited to, and mm-hmm. we do residential retreats. And people will know this building. This is the building, there's prayer flags hanging out front, and there's a large stone Buddha who during the Halloween season has a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, be, when we moved here, we found there are regulations about what kind of signs can be posted Okay. But there are no regulations about prayer flags. Okay. So uh, we put some up. Uh, so it's either the you used just gave them an idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, there are. I was going to say it'll be on the council agenda. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So we're the place that's either the used car sales place or the uh, the temple <laughs> because of all the colorful waving flags. That's right. I wanted to ask you, how did you yourself get involved with Zen? Um, my dad was a Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone who thought that God is someone we can experience in our daily lives, not some kind of abstract thing that we have to study. Uh, so I grew, uh, was quite I- interested in, in that. And uh, when I was in college, I had an experience uh, of God's love. Mm. I had an experience of the oneness of the universe that was uh, uh, quite compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had always thought that life was about working hard and being good enough. Uh, But that didn't seem to bring me what I wanted. Mm. And then I had this experience that we as human beings are already uh, loved, already held in a fabric uh, beyond our imagination. So I had that experience, but no context. Uh, I talked to a 
couple ministers and a priest and people had heard about this but didn't quite know what to do with it. And then I heard a Zen teacher talk. Uh, and I knew that he knew what I knew. Uh, that there is some other dimension of being human and that there was this tradition uh, of moving toward uh, what is most alive and what is most sacred. So I, I began, uh, I'm not a natural meditator, okay. uh, and I began with two minutes a day mm. because that's about as long as I could sit, and then I uh, had, to, uh, had to get up and run around. But that was 30 years ago. Yeah. And this, and, and this is now your, uh, it's your identity or your, your work? It's really the, the center of my life, this uh, Zen teaching. I'm also a, a life and leadership coach. So okay. I work with um, people around creating lives that make sense to them. Hmm. Uh, I have this great faith that we're all here for some purpose and that our true happiness comes from finding what our gifts are and using them in service of the world. Um, for people who don't know anything about Zen or who are mostly aware of Zen from, I don't know, home decorating <laughs> styles <laughs> right. or things like yeah. this, maybe occasionally from blogs on the internet that yeah. like they have these little Zen sand garden pictures or whatever. Were you gonna P the Pier 1 Imports. So. Pier 1 Imports. <laughs> a major, a major force in American Zen, <laughs> Pier 1. <laughs> what, is, what is Zen? Uh, Zen is uh, a way of uh, being present with our lives. Okay. Uh, at its simplest form, it's cultivating a basic friendliness towards ourself, mm. uh, about saying yes to our life. Um, and Zen is also a religion. It's a kind of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. uh, Buddhism started uh, in India with the historical Buddha at 500 BC, who we do not consider to be a god, mm -hmm. but m merely someone like you and me, who found out something true about life. So Buddhism went from India to Tibet, where it became Tibetan Buddhism, and the Dalai Lama is probably the most well-recognized figure in that tradition. It went to Southeast Asia and became Theravadan Buddhism, the way of the elders. And then it went to China and mixed with Taoism and Confucianism and became Zen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Zen traveled from China to Korea and Japan and now to America and Europe. And our main practice is sitting quietly. Mm. So here we're sitting in the Zendo of the Boundless Way Temple. And every morning at 7 o'clock we gather with whoever wants to come and sit silently for uh, 25 minutes. We do some walking meditation and then sit again. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes a little bit of a Dharma talk or something? Yeah, uh, um, oftentimes um, my, my wife or I or some other senior student will give a talk, and we do also do individual meetings with people. Um, it's actually quite difficult to sit still and be with yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's ever watched this show knows the challenges that I have with this. <laughs> That's amazing to think about, though, when you try to keep in mind how much we like to think others appreciate our own selves, right? Like, like we like hanging out, right? Like, I yeah. can't hang out with myself for very often, but somehow I'm convinced myself that Mike really likes hanging out with me. I spend too much time with myself is yeah. the problem. Maybe, or, or, or I don't know. This in some ways sounds a lot like what you were saying earlier this week about the hour that you spent in the car between here and Boston every morning. That mm -hmm. That's sort of like your time it's to my yourself and your, exactly. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But that involves a lot of music and Howard Stern and other well, things. You're, so like, still. you're doing everything, <laughs> but you're doing everything you can to distract yourself from that experience, right? I mean, you're like you said, loud music and Absolutely. Howard Stern. You're, yeah. You don't want to be there. 
in any way, shape, or form, or acknowledge that I'm there with me. Yes, <laughs> I have the same problem. I have the same problem. Um, so, 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 yeah. So, so as you said, like the the main practice of the Zen, being a Zen practitioner, is mostly silent meditation. Right. Uh, but the point is not about. Um, people often think, well, if I become a Zen practitioner, my life will all be smooth. But Zen is not about trying to be calm, mm. but about learning to be where we are. Yeah. Uh, the truth about human life is that sometimes we feel confused and sometimes we feel clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're happy and sometimes we're sad. So the thing I think that first appealed to me about Zen, that it wasn't and isn't about transcending something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about being present. So when we're driving the car to work, uh, how can we be driving the car to work? Mm-hmm. Where do you, when, during, in Zen meditation, where do you fix your attention? Where are you supposed to fix your attention? <laughs> good, good, good distinction. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, uh, the basic instruction we give is to bring your attention to your breath. Okay. Um, so that's the probably the basic practice is breath awareness. So just noticing. Uh, all of us are breathing all the time, but mostly we're too busy to notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the problem as human beings is we start to we all get carried away by our thoughts. Mm-hmm. So we think about the day coming up. We think about what's happened. We get worried. Um, and this teaching is that if we come into connection with our bodies and with our breath here in this moment, uh, there's actually something here that's quite reliable. Hmm. Hmm. I want to talk about this book for a moment. This book is coming out in June. This is the This Truth Never Fails, a Zen memoir in four seasons. And my, my review from having read the first three quarters of this book is that a person would get two things out of reading this book, or there's two things that might make you curious to read this. One is, you know, what is it like to be a Zen practitioner or a Zen priest in Worcester? This is in this book. The other thing is just the, um, you know, one person's account of the awareness of their own mental experiences in all kinds of situations, which is, you know, and I think we all have similar mental experiences in in the moment and so it's interesting sometimes to see other someone else going through that because it reminds you oh yes i also have that same thing um and this book is coming and you said this book is coming out in a few months it's coming out uh june 10th uh-huh. and uh, june 11th we're going to have a party in the evening here at the temple and everybody's invited to come and i'll do some readings and sign some copies of the book and what what, what can you tell me what can you tell people about the book that i haven't already mentioned in my summary there um it's a series of short chapters, yes. um, and it's really trying to share my experience of this possibility of our lives. Because hmm. it's wonderful to hear somebody talk about, oh yeah, be present in the moment, follow your breath. But it's incredibly challenging to do. Mm-hmm. And the contents of our mind uh, are quite wild. Uh, and we all imagine that it should be different or could be different. So in this book, I try to really tell the truth. So not mm. uh, imagining that I have some life that's different from anyone else's. Yeah. But in telling the truth about my life, about uh, the whole range of my experience, mm-hmm. inviting other people into their own experience. I was delighted to hear you identify with the book. Yeah. Uh, I think that's my greatest wish, that someone would 
read chapters of the book and start to just notice their life a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, I enjoy it very much. I very much. I like. I, I mentioned some of the, on the back some of the, the publicity materials referenced Annie Lamott, yeah. and I definitely think that there's. I mean, you don't you don't have this. Same, you don't really focus on alcoholism or any of the things that she would talk about. But otherwise, I think there's definitely that same sort of like, let's just observe day to day life and the whatever. Well, and life. and the thing I appreciate about Annie Lamott and like about that comparison is that she's so not dogmatic. Yeah. And, and I'm not really interested in Zen. Uh, I'm interested in uh, being alive mm-hmm. and what it means to be a human being. So this wisdom comes from all kinds of different sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, even now, a lot of work I do in my coaching is with uh, religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do a lot of work with the Episcopal Church. Uh, but And I talk about this aliveness, mm-hmm. and we can call it God. We can call it the Dharma or, you know... Uh, beauty or hey you mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't seem to mind whatever we call it we probably should talk about school committee stuff yes but i wonder if either of you have a question for yeah me. i had a quick one I, well, you mentioned when you came to lister that um there wasn't much of a zen community when you got here yeah. I mean, how has that changed since you've been here i mean is there a significant community now i think a lot of us think in terms when we think in terms of uh, spiritual practice we think in terms of immigrant populations changing the tone of the community yeah. over time and whatnot yeah I don't believe you're a new immigrant. I'm just curious like, how, how you represent a community that's growing in, in the city. Yeah. Well, certainly there are the, uh, the immigrant temples, and the, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see the Jade Buddha come mm-hmm. to Bo- Worcester and uh, more awareness of those communities. I've also done a show, I think, on Dewey Street with the yes. folks down there as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but there are a number of practitioners here in Worcester, Buddhist practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, Partly, there's interest that started around John Kabat-Zinn and the Center for Mindfulness at UMass mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, around this uh, seated meditation. Uh, but we have probably 60 to 100 people uh, here in the Worcester area and then uh, throughout New England. Uh, we have people who will come to the, the temple here for mm-hmm. uh, sometimes for daily practice, but more often for retreats. Um, and of course, we're just, I didn't know this, but we're just down the street from IMS, the Insight Meditation Center. Um, really? Which is one of, I mean, down the street. It's, oh. you know, 15 miles. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I was no, thinking, no. I know that there's the Quakers on Pleasant Street. <laughs> I don't remember this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's an internationally known, people come from all over the world to, right. to sit there. So. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Yeah. yeah. Any other? No. Yeah. Any other follow-up? Well, well, I want to ask you about school stuff, Tracy. Tracy Novick, Worcester School Committee. Frequent. Which I want to say is a major breakthrough from you. You actually are saying, I want to ask you about school stuff. Not I do like, want to ask you about Usually it's we have to stuff. talk about school stuff. So, so sometimes people sometimes people who know me talk to me about public affairs. People who have watched the show but don't watch it closely enough to realize that my whole persona on the show is not knowing anything about public affairs. <laughs> but some, so somebody, somebody the other day asked me this question. He had read, I think it's a letter to the editor, and okay. it's, the, it's the end of the month, so there's no, you know, my, my TNG free articles are done on their website, so I can't figure out this is, what this letter to the editor is exactly. Something along the lines of, he was basically saying, like, I read this, I read this it seems sort of crazy and inflammatory, but what's the background here? This is somebody who lives not in the city, but owns a business in the city. Um, the, 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 the sentiment was something along the lines of, why is it that we can open these schools for drug addicts, but we can't open any schools for people who want to be good students? Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think right, that, that was somewhat inflammatory. I think this is, so partially this is inspired by the idea of the exam school. Yes. And this is a big thing that came out this week. Yes. Which I guess, I'm, the, the Telegram Gazette article said that this is something that, uh, is it Brian O'Connell? Brian O'Connell has had it on a subcommittee agenda for like 12 time years. immemorial. So yes. this has been sort of in the background for like 12 years now. Well, it's probably been in the background since since Classical High closed in 1966. Okay. I mean, okay. yeah, I don't think that's ever really gone away. But 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 the mayor came out this week also saying, who's the chair of the school committee, saying like, we should do this, we should have an exam school. This is one of his campaign issues, was bringing okay. this up during the campaign. Really? Yeah, there's yes. going to be capital development in the schools as long with uh, trying to open an exam school in the city. All right. He made education a pretty big foundation of his, his campaign. Again, this just shows the amazing <laughs> outreach of the issues-based part. Oh, right. Education. I don't pay attention to the city council campaign, right? I'm only interviewing city councilors every week for two months. <laughs> okay, so this so granted, this was part of his campaign. Sure, I'll give it I feel like you. we should go back and deal with the first part of that, though. Which so is So that in terms of, of, of students who have, are struggling with addiction. So sure. that actually came out the beginning of April. It was an item that was on the school committee agenda. Okay. Put there by Mayor Petty and Jack Foley, which was part of this statewide um, push that that, they're, that the state is really doing mm-hmm. around having these schools that are for children who are struggling in some way with addiction. And they're regional right. schools. So there's, I think they just opened one in Brockton within the last year. Mm. There are four of them statewide. There isn't one in central Massachusetts. And so the question there that went to subcommittee, Brian O'Connell subcommittee actually, um, was do we need one in central Massachusetts? And so it wouldn't necessarily be in Worcester. It wouldn't necessarily be in Worcester, and it's one of those where obviously we would not only have to talk to Worcester, we'd also have to talk to the surrounding communities because they don't just draw from one community; they draw okay. from all of them. So this would sort of be for for all sorts of students in Worcester County who are struggling, who have been struggling with some sort of addiction. Yes. Do you? Th- um, and so this is going to be a long process to figure out. Yeah, I mean, out. there's the, there are a, a huge number of questions. I mean, the first one that everybody wants to know about is financing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, from what I understand from the mayor, that the state is funding startup costs. And then once you actually have a school going, they end up becoming self-perpetuating once you've, the, you've got the finances that are accompanying the student. Okay. Um, but, I mean, you'd have to look at whether or not the need is there. Um, and then the whole question of how are these set up and that kind of a thing. So that's, it's a long-term question. I think it's a, a reasonable one. I know that New York City doesn't have any and they're having a, a conversation about how do you how do you deal with students that are struggling with this. Right. Um, now, now does does UINC do I mean are there programs aren't there, there alternative are programs, programs like yes. this with state money? UINC and other yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and I mean and so that then also has to be part of the con- the conversation of of how are these needs being met and to what extent are they being met? Is right. there unmet need? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's one thing. Okay. Um, but of course, it being Worcester and there being 24,000 students, one thing doesn't preclude another. Okay. Um, and so this week, the um, the mayor, who, as Brendan mentioned, had talked during the campaign about the exam school, and then he mentioned it again in his inaugural address, um, set up a committee um, to look at um, two things, really, um, whether or not we should have an exam school and whether or not we should have an international baccalaureate program. Okay. Um, the two things were seen as being intention. Um, an exam school um, is predicated on the idea that you'd be taking some sort of admit. There'd be admissions requirements of some kind. Okay. Um, an international baccalaureate program, you take exams to graduate. Um, so, with that so sort of diploma. okay. So just to clarify, the exam school basically says there's a school and there's a public high school in Worcester. High yep. school, it would be. Uh, yes, okay. is what we're talking. About. Yeah. Okay. So there, so we would say there, there will be a public high school in Worcester, which will have some sort of requirements for students to get into that school. Yes. And presumably academic requirements. Yes. 
This is not like a, this is not a Hunger Games type situation. Well, and actually, this is this is part of the conversation we have to have because by the time classical high school closed, um, there was some degree of political influence involved in getting into the school, and so that's the last thing we want to see set up is a school where if you know the right person to call, you can actually get in the door. Right. It's kind of takes away the no- notion. Well, there actually has been and is an exam school in Worcester already mm-hmm. that my daughter went to. Was she, did she go to Mass? She went to Mass, mass Academy, Academy of Math and Science. Yeah. Now, she had gone to the, uh, the all-school, Acceler- yep. Accelerated Learning Lab, mm-hmm. right. uh, up through her sophomore year, yep. uh, and then transferred to that school. So, uh, is, and so th- th- this is a question I'll ask, I'll ask you as the public yep. official in this case. Is, is Mass Academy a public school? Mass Academy is a public school, but they're, they are um, the only public school in the state that's actually run basically directly from the state level. Okay. We actually have, there is no association with Worcester Public Schools. So they're, they're administered by WPI. Okay. Um, they're 11th and 12th grade only. Right. Um, really small. Really great, mm-hmm. but really small. And, um, and they actually don't, they're not a Worcester Public School. So the idea they're is, public school in Worcester. So, we, so we could reframe the question <laughs> right. then as being, should Worcester, should Worcester have either, in the case of the exam school, it would be, should Worcester have its own mass academy run from the school yeah, although it doesn't. Ha- I mean, schools. the other thing, of course, about Mass Academy is that it is run by WPI, so it right. has a math, it has a math and science focus, and right. that's not necessarily what what a Worcester what exam school would. Sure, have. I mean, and, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. And then the other, then the other, uh, the other thing you said is the International Baccalaureate, which is a series of tests that you take to graduate. Well, it's actually school? a whole program, okay. um, and it started out as being basically kind of a high school program. It now actually can go all the way down through elementary school. But what, okay. we're, what we'd be looking at is just the high school part. And it's, um, it's a series of, of classes. And um, in some ways, it's kind of an idea about education. That, ide- that education is not only about the academic development of the student, but also the social and emotional development of the student. They have requirements around public service and things like that. Who, who, who is they? Is this the United um, it's Nations actually, thing? Or? Well, <laughs> and this is actually going to be, to your point about people getting ideas about things, it's okay. going to probably be part of the conversation we have to have too, because there are people who get a little freaked out because it is an international kind of thing. So, yes. Um, it comes are there out foreigners of, involved with what There you're probably about? are actually. <laughs> exactly. You can okay. see where this conversation is going to go. recruit class. That's going to happen. <laughs> Um, it, it came out of um, Switzerland. So okay. there are there are schools across. Um, there are actually some schools across the, the country, although it's still a fairly new idea in the United States. Mm-hmm. I know. And I it's was, pretty. Co- it's pretty common in Europe. It, isn't right. It, it's, it is. It's mm-hmm. the standard there. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I, yeah. I was trying to remember where do I know this from, but I actually think that I know where I know this from. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So, so you'll hear people getting an IB diploma rather than yeah. just getting a regular high school. Yeah. Diploma. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my best and the notion was this. that. It, particularly in Europe, of course, where you've got people crossing national boundaries to go to college to have some sort of a standard that says, yes, you're actually ready to go to college. Okay. Um, so that's that's where that's coming from. But it does okay. things like require a second fluency in a second language and, right. and other things of that nature. Is this, so would the, so, so the, what is the, what is the general administrative thing going forward on these? Like the, the, the idea like what's of, what's happening now? Well, I guess I want to say like, the exam school, I guess I'm looking for like a timeline, steps, concerns. Like the exam school is a thing which is going to your subcommittee? Yeah, so um, the mayor asked me to be chair of the subcommittee. Okay. Um, so which, this is now all which just become my problem. I am now the chair of the exam school subcommittee. Oh. <laughs> so created just for this. Um, yeah, it's funny, he actually called me two or three times to, to double check. You sure you want to be chair? <laughs> 
Um, so he still is, he's appointed four members of the school committee so far, and that's it, but it's probably going to be a committee of more like 10 by the time we get done. Okay. Um, he said he wanted some people from higher ed. He said he wanted some people from the business community, mm-hmm. hoping we get some K through 12 educators on there too. Okay. Um, and the idea is to have the committee, um, constituted by the end of May. Okay. Um, my thought then is that then you're heading into summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, probably we need to do a bunch of uh, research and background kinds of stuff. And right. Personally, I'm thinking field trips. People but, have done this. I mean, people um, have done exam schools all around, yeah, right? Yeah, so absolutely. This is, there's a lot and the of thing that, that kind of throws our, us askew in Massachusetts is the one that everybody knows is, as Brendan said, Boston Latin. Mm-hmm. So, but Boston Latin was, is actually the oldest public high school in the country. I mean, it okay. was it was set up like within two decades after the Pilgrims literally landed in mm-hmm. Plymouth. I mean, mm-hmm. so they're kind of their own thing. Right. Um, there are other exam schools in Massachusetts um, and and across uh, the country. Now, the thing I should also point out is that one of the problems around exam schools, depending on how you administer them, is you can easily end up with a population that in no way reflects the sending population of the schools. They okay. tend to be white. They tend to be Asian. They tend to be middle class, which is not really our sending population. So mm. I think one of the conversations we have to have is how do you make sure that what you're judging by is actually intellectual capacity and willingness to work hard right. rather than a lot of other stuff. Right, right, right. So I, so the next step is like, like you said, is getting the subcommittee together and then... Yes. So the mayor is still appointing people. So okay. he'll be doing that between now and the end of May. We'll have okay. a first meeting by the end of May. I hope probably meet more than once before school gets out. Okay. And then probably we'll have subcommittees of it where people are actually going out and saying, what does international baccalaureate look like? What would that entail? So the international baccalaureate is also part of this exam subcommittee? Yes. Okay. Because of this sort of tension between the notion of do you need exams to get out of the school or do you need exams yeah, to get into right. the school? And you don't necessarily, I mean, one doesn't preclude the other. You could do both. You could yeah. have an international baccalaureate exam school. Um, could you have like could you have an international baccalaureate program at like South or something? You could. In okay. fact, um, Abby Kelly Foster, the charter school in Worcester, mm-hmm. has um, an international baccalaureate program, but not all of their nine through twelve students are in it. Mm-hmm. So um, it is possible to have that kind of thing going on. Now the thing at South is they already have the Goddard Scholars Program, which is a gifted and talented program to some degree already going on, mm-hmm. which starts at grade six now and goes right. through twelve. Now, is the IB, is there, are there standardized tests to get out of it? It's or does a little each school bit, um, do their own? They, it's, it's sort of internationally, it's more like, we're, we're going to go to pop culture again here. It reminds me much more of, say, like the Harry Potter exams, where you have like people come in from outside the school and say, I'm going to judge you. Trick? Exactly. <laughs> so it's not like a bubble test like the SAT where you're then going to have it scanned by a computer. It's much more like they're going to come in and say, have you met our standards? The wonderful thing about that, I, I was a headmaster of a private school and been education before this current incarnation. Mm. Um, but to have the teachers and student w- working together and to have someone outside be the one who assesses mm-hmm. creates an incredible environment, changes the relationship mm-hmm. or can change between mm. students and teachers. Because yeah. the teacher doesn't have that, that, adi- that additional role of being the judge. That's right, exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Taking a step back to Angry Letter Guy, did we get a subcommittee for um, the uh, drug no, addiction that school? No, that went to teaching, learning, and student supports. Okay. So that went to one of the... the because that would actually seem to be, it just as, as a byproduct of the Worcester Public School, so like... Um, 
that would actually seem to be the one thing that we could probably use in the city of Worcester is uh, a, a serious support network within the schools for kids with addiction. I mean, mm -hmm. again, just as a Worcester guy, the number of people that uh, have either died as a part of my life or just fallen off the wagon because we have absolutely no ability to deal with addiction issues in a meaningful way. And, and that even starts in the homes. You know, very, very difficult uh, process to actually deal with and it kind of just disappears and you could probably make a good argument that in Worcester now in the at least in the high school level you probably have more kids popping Vicodin and Oxycontin uh, during the school day than you do have taking multivitamins um, and that wouldn't be too too crazy to mm -hmm. you know if someone wanted to put some numbers together it's, well that's what and then that's what I'm hoping that we not only can have that conversation but also the one that David was talking about in terms of of what is the need out there and then right. how is it currently being met and and what is the gap yeah. Because that sort of ends up a lot of times being our job is what filling the spaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I just want to say, um, my daughter had an amazing experience at the all school mm. with the diversity of it and with that. But she was, she had very few kids who were uh, peers in the sense of her intellectual mm -hmm. capacity mm -hmm. and interest. But she, you know, found a way to do that. Um, and it was incredibly valuable for her. And the Mass Academy was a, an astonishing experience in education for her. Mm. You know, the kind of groups that came together. And, and she came home the first day and she said, um, guess what, Daddy? My friend has a favorite poet, too. Oh, yay. Yeah. You know, so she sort of found her tribe yeah. in some way. Yes. Mm. But boy, it's so touchy because they were mostly kids of well-educated yes. parents. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a real conundrum. Yes. Yeah. As we, Tracy and I talk about this a lot, when we were growing up uh, in, in Worcester, we had the PEAK program, which was just yeah, something that yeah, came yeah. out of the public schools, and they would just try and find the kids that, well, Ritalin hadn't been invented yet, so those of us that couldn't sit still, they would pull <laughs> us out of the classroom <laughs> Do and put us in creative writing programs, or we'd yeah. be putting on plays and whatnot. And yeah. there's more people that I know from my generation, the mid-30s, like into their early 40s, who that, that really changed their educational experience. Yeah. And it was nothing more than pulling somebody out of that normal structured system where we just assume everyone is supposed to sit, sit still, look forward, do what they're told. And, and oftentimes there are too many of us that, well, sitting still is difficult. <laughs> we have Coming to, back to the Zen <laughs> angle. Oh, my gosh. We have to wrap up the show. <laughs> Tracy Novick, David Reinick, thank you so much for being on the show. Brendan Melkin, a pleasure as, as always. always. I'm Mike Benedetti. Thank you for watching the show. This is 508. We'll talk to you next week.